Thanks, Scott. So here's a generic question, probably a preacher 101 question. Um, you don't have to answer it out loud. In fact, please don't answer it out loud. But uh, what uh, what makes you happy? Where does happiness in your life uh, come from? Uh, what makes you happy? What makes you excited about every day? I remember, and I can't remember the time or the place, all right, so it makes it a great story. Um, but I remember uh, just, I think maybe I was in my car driving along, and I just had this overwhelming feeling of joy. I, I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was just thinking about uh, family and my wife and my kids or that I was up here ministering. It definitely wouldn't have been in the wintertime, um, if I could you know, guess anyway. Uh, but it was just had this over. And so I'm just curious, like, what, what makes you happy? Like, what, what causes you to just feel this overwhelming joy in your life and in your heart? And then the follow-up question is this. There may be a little deeper that we're going to try to dive in today, and that's this. Does God care if you're happy? Like, is that of his utmost importance that you're happy? Of all the things going on in this world, all the things going on in life, is your happiness on a daily basis something that God's like, okay, so you got a smile on your face, whatever. Is, is our life on this earth something that he is concerned with our happiness and our joy about? Well, when it comes to happiness... Uh, in general, there was an international study that was done. All right. International study. Uh, this place called uh, IPSOS. Honestly, I don't remember what the IPSOS stands for. We'll just call it Ipsos. OK, so Ipsos.com. This is because I like to say Ipsos because it makes me spit. And whoever's in the front row has a shower coming today. Right. So uh, at this website, it is international study. And they said, um, what are the things that make you that make you happy? Now, you could probably guess these things. All right. But only 31 um, countries out of the what, 160 plus or whatever, um, answered, replied, responded to the survey. Um, but uh, this, this place did the survey, and the top three things that caused people to be happy, and you could probably guess these, number one is physical health and well-being. People said, you know, my physical health um, is good. If things are going well, I'm, you know, um, highly confident I'll wake up tomorrow morning, um, that, I, I, that I feel good. The happiness um, starts with me feeling good physically. Uh, secondly was mental health and well-being. And people said, if I'm not just physically well, but my mental health uh, is in good shape, that I'm feeling healthy there, that when I wake up in the morning, I have happiness. And then the third one is relationship with spouse or partner. All right. So the relationship you're in, the uh, we'll call it the, your romantic relationship. So if it's spouse, girlfriend, fiance, whatever, boyfriend, um, that uh, if that's in good shape, that you have happiness, that you're feeling feeling pretty good. Those are the top three answers of this international study of what makes people Happy. Now, in your top three, how many of you would say, yeah, I'd agree with those. Any, just, yeah, I, I think those sound pretty good. If things with my wife are good and my physical health and my mental health is good, I would say that that could bring me some joy and happiness. Well, here are the happiest countries. So if you're wondering if I want to move someplace where I can be the happiest, all right, here are the top four. Um, the first one is Netherlands. All right, if you want to be really happy, go to move to the Netherlands. Um, and it was like 87 or 86 percent. Second was Australia. And I think it's just because the accent is real cool. I don't know. Or that or kangaroos. But Australia second. the third one really surprised me. The third one, I thought I wouldn't have thought that that doesn't my stereotype. I've never been there, but stereotype. I wouldn't have thought. Um, but the third one is China. That surprised you a little bit. Surprised me a little bit. And then the fourth one is Great Britain. 
Um, America was I don't know, probably halfway down the list. And over the last six years, um, enter political joke here, um, over the last six years, um, it's continued to go down in America. Um, and from COVID, I'm guessing COVID, but COVID was a worldwide thing. Uh, but it's kind of continued to go down in America. Well, this is what um, trackinghappiness.com, wouldn't that be a cool job? Uh, trapping, trackinghappiness.com um, wrote an article, and this is what they said. Physical activity and nutrition are both fundamentally linked to happiness. I'm sorry to share that bad news with you today. In fact, I don't know if I've heard any worse news this week than what I've heard right there. Physical activity and nutrition are both fundamentally linked to happiness. In fact, one study in the uh, Clinical Journal of Sports Medicine found that people who were inactive were more than twice as likely to be unhappy as those who remained active. Again, could you have heard worse news today? Sorry about that. Just remember Jesus loves you, okay? Um, but yeah, and so in essence, what are we looking at? If you want to be happy, physical health, mental health, relationship, guess what? Those are all things that you can do something about, right? Those are all something that we can do about exercise and diet. Those are a couple of the, of the things. Um, but just figuring out what does it look like to have a better relationship with my spouse and physically getting active and emotionally, um, those things will help bring happiness. But I go back to this question again. Does God care about our general happiness in this world with all that's going on? In fact, we look at Job. Remember the story of Job? That's an uplifting story, right? Job chapter 1, it says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Sounds like a pretty good guy. And then as we know the story, that uh, God had, or had an angel party, and uh, Satan came wandering in. And he's like, where have you been, Satan? He's like, oh, I've been wandering around here and there. And uh, God said, what? Have you considered my servant Job? Right? If you considered my servant Job, there's no one like him in all the earth. And Satan said, well, of course. I mean, look at everything that he has. He's got all the stuff he can think of. He's got kids. He's got animals. He's got crops. He's got everything going for him. Why wouldn't he be happy? And God said, and man, there's a lot of theological discussion we could have about this one. What did God say? All right. You can take his stuff away. Now, again, we we'll go back to the question, does God care if we're happy? If he cared if we're happy, would he really let Satan just take all of Job's stuff away? And, Job, and Satan said, all right. And so, sure enough, in one day, I mean, there's never even been a country music song that sounded worse than Job's life in the next three verses. I mean, everything just fell apart. Kids died, tornadoes and stuff, crops getting ripped up, animals dead, the whole shooting match. In verse 5 it says, when the days of feast had run their course, this is how righteous Job was, um, his kids would get together to party and after they had a feast, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. So Job continued to offer sacrifices for his kids just in case they sinned. That's the kind of faithful guy Job was. And God still allowed Satan to take all of his stuff. All the things that Satan assumed made him happy. And things, quite frankly, that you and I might look at that and say, yeah, Satan's kind of got a point. Seemed like life was good for Job. All that stuff goes away. In verse 22 of chapter 1, even though all that stuff happened, it said in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Now, it doesn't necessarily say that he said that with, or had that with a smile on his face, that he had all this happiness. 
But even in the midst of all this disaster taking place, Job never, he never sinned. Well, then in Job chapter 2, we know what happened, right? God's having the angel party and Satan comes in. Where have you been, Satan? Wandering here and there. Have you considered my servant, Job? There's no one like him on the earth. Satan, you tried to take away his stuff, thinking that's what made him happy. And Satan said, well, of course. He still has his health. In fact, that's on the top list. Satan didn't say that, but we could say that, right? We know the list now. And God said, all right, you can touch his body, but you can't kill him. And all these boils broke out all over Job. And said his friends came and for like seven days they sat there and didn't say a word staring at him. Just looking at each other. What do we say? What do we do? We don't know. And all that took place. And even his wife in verses 9 and 10 in Job 2. uh, This is a loving, supporting uh, wife. His wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Don't say that to your husband. All right. And don't say that to your wife ever either. Right. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. I wouldn't recommend saying that to your wife either in response. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. So go back to the question, does God care if you're happy? Does he care if you have joy in your life? When we look at the life of Job and we think, man, the guy's got it all. He's got all this stuff. Everything's going well. And God allows Satan to just take that. And is God knowing that this is going to make him unhappy? Does he care about that? Is he okay with that? So thinking about this whole idea of happiness, and we'll circle back to Job here at the end, where I'm going to take a look at Psalm 1, um, just the whole Psalm, Psalm 1, all right? And it's 120 verses. I'm just kidding. Um, Job chapter, or I'm sorry, Psalm uh, chapter 1. And in the next five Sundays, we're going to look at a, we're going to have a series called Singing the Sacred, and we're going to look at five different Psalms, okay? And um, the Psalms are books of poetry that are right in the middle of your Bible in the Old Testament. Um, they're written mostly by David and some by uh, Solomon, uh, but uh, Psalms, of course, is a really long one that's right, uh, again, if you open up your Bible in the middle, you'll probably fall on Psalm. But Psalm chapter 1, and uh, uh, Mark Moore, who wrote this Core 52 book that we're kind of using to guide our path into which passages of Scripture we, we preach through uh, this year, he said this is the, the verse, um, these first couple of verses, the verses um, that, uh, about happiness in the Bible. Like there's no one better than these, these couple of verses. And you can argue with that. But anyway, let's, let's look at Psalm chapter 1. All right? Psalm 1, 1 says this, Blessed is the man... All right. And you could that word there, blessed, you could say happy. All right. You could. That's an OK word to, to uh, put there when you look at the when you look at the um, uh, Hebrew. OK, so happy or blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So verse one of chapter one of Psalms, basically, we have the blessing. Do not if you want to be happy. If you want to know if God really does care about your happiness, here's some things not to do. And basically, what does he say? If you want to be happy, don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. Don't stand in the way of sinners and don't sit in the seat of scoffers. There is so much to be said when it comes to being blessed, being happy, enjoying the life that God created us to live by who you hang around with. Right? I think that we've all probably experienced that sometime in our life. How many of you have had to fire friends before? They're like, man, I'm not hanging around those people anymore. Why? Because they just drag you down. Um, You have that friend that's always negative about everything. You're like, man, I want some happiness in my life, and you ain't bringing it. So you're just going to have to stand over there for a little while. Put them in timeout from your friendship circle, right? 
You have these groups of friends sometimes. You sit around and everything's negative, everything's down, everything's bad. How many of you have that friend that brings up politics within 30 seconds of being around him? And you're like, okay, nope, you've got to move to another state. I'm done with you, right? Um, it's like, can we not think of anything else to talk about? But there's so much to be said for how our happiness is affected by the people that we hang around with. In fact, 84% of women and 75% of men report having been in a toxic relationship. Report having been in a toxic relationship. That's 8 out of 10 women. All right, so of all the women here, let's say there are 100 of you, uh, 84 of you would have said, I've, I've been in some kind of toxic relationship. And three-fourths of the guys in here would say the same. And guys don't like to talk about our feelings, but they're willing to admit, three-fourths of them, that, man, I've been around some bad people before. And this is what, um, this is from another website. They said, these are the traits of toxic people. So if you're wondering if you're around toxic people, if you're wondering if you need to put that friend in time out for a while from you um, because of how they're not allowing happiness and joy in your life, here's some things. One, if it's someone that manipulates you, right, there's manipulation taking place. Secondly, they make you feel bad about yourself. Um, third, judgmental. Why do we need that when we have our husbands? Do I look fat in this dress, right? Our husbands don't know what to say there. Judgmental. People are judgmental. If uh, negativity is in these people, if people are passive aggressive around you, if they're self-centered, if they have difficulty with anger management or if they're controlling, those are some traits of toxic people. So if you have those people in your life, it may be time to have a conversation. And if they're not ready to repent of that, maybe it's time to fire some friends that we have. You can pray for them and maybe time to time. But man, if that's the most important circle of people in your friend, and that list says this is who they are, it's time maybe to seek out some other people to hang around. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul wrote this, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Bad company ruins good morals. Now, I'm sure you've not been this person, and you don't have to raise your hand for this, but how many of you have been around somebody that kind of drug you down and drug you down a path that you really shouldn't have been going down? Where your morals started to... Come into question because you're hanging around the wrong people. Um, how many of you had that experience? Second Corinthians 6, Paul went on to say this. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? I know as preachers, we like to um, relate that to people getting married. And if they come to us and say we want to get married and this is a, a Christian, and this is someone that's not a Christian, then we say, you know, there's some unequally yokedness. I don't think that's a word going on right here and that you really need to be careful because if you're a believer and you're going to be married to living under the same roof and sharing every single thing with somebody and they're not a believer, are you banking on your being able to win them? Because more than likely things are going to start going the other way. But I don't think Paul's just talking about marriage. He's talking about all of us. Like if you're unevenly yoked, like if your best friend, if your circle of people that you constantly spend the most time around are not believers, how long do you think it's going to be before you start showing those same bad habits of walking away from God as opposed to drawing near to him? Proverbs thirteen twenty: whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Proverbs 22, make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. We have a mission around here, and our mission statement is? Ah! 
Helping people journey with Jesus. All right. Let's say that together. Will you please? All right. Helping people journey with Jesus. That's our mission statement. And our mission statement has four vision statement parts of it. And you know what? Psalm 1-1 sounds a lot like sharpen and be sharpened, doesn't it? When we look at Jesus' life, he surrounded himself with these 12 guys. And he was teaching them and training them. And so we want to be in discipleship relationship. Our vision statement, we call that sharpen and be sharpened. And isn't that what Psalm 1-1 talks about? Don't sit in, this, in the company of wicked people and scoffers. Because if we do, we're not going to be blessed. If we truly want to be happy in that God's pointing us to this happiness, created for us for this happiness. If we truly want to know if God created us to be happy or wants that for us, it definitely is not going to come when we surround ourselves with people who are just going to drag us down and away from Jesus. We need to sharpen and be sharpened. Psalm 1-2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And so after he gives us the blessing, do not, don't hang around with people that are going to drag you down. I said that a lot longer than that, didn't I? Took more time to describe that. Um, we, next we have the blessing do's. What does he say? He's like, this blessed man, this happy man, he delights in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. What do we know about God's word? Second Timothy three, all scripture is what breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for the training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's what's God's what that's what God's word can do. Romans 15 for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Isaiah fifty-five eleven. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God's word does not return void. In 2 Peter 1, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. That sounds like Psalm 119, 105, right? Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Folks, if we want to be happy, if we want to be the blessed man described in Psalm 1, we will devote ourselves and meditate on God's word. I'm going to give you um, four things. I think it's four um, that I want you to just the, the quick ABCs of meditating on God's word. OK, these are real easy. One, read it. Can you say that with me. Read it. Right. <laughs> if we're going to meditate on God's word, you kind of got to open it. Right. And a guy tell me one time it's like a parachute. It only works if it's open. And so we need to, that was kind of funny if you think about it, but you're like, I've heard that a million times, Andy, that's not funny anymore, right? We need to read God's word. We need to read it. We need to open it up. We celebrate people that read through the Bible in a year, every year, but even if you're not reading all the way through, at least open it up and read, find a story, find a scripture, find a book that you want to read and just open up and pour yourself into. Secondly, pray about it. Um, I'm going to tell you my preacher secret, all right, because I'm not really a smart guy. When it comes to me studying and getting ready for a sermon on Sunday, I have to pray about every scripture that I open up and look at. And I say, Lord, you got to give me something here because you know how dumb I am and how thick I am. All right. So you got to teach me here. And when we pray about things, God opens our eyes to be able to see things that we're like, man, I never saw that before. 
I didn't notice that. And so when we open up God's word, read it, pray about it. Third, we need to ask questions. Get a pen and a piece of paper out and say, like, I'm going to write questions out. On a Thursday every week on my little morning dive thing, and if you can't watch it at 9, you can send the questions early. But I do question and answer time. And I'm not saying I have all the answers, but you know what? Let's just hear the questions that we have. It's okay to ask questions about God's word. I mean, let's face it, it, not every single word that was ever said is written down. And so there are questions like, well, I wonder what was happening here. I wonder what that discussion was and how that took place. It's okay to ask questions, and we need to write down those questions because that's how we learn. If you're in a classroom setting, right, and uh, your teacher's going through something and that you don't understand, if you don't raise your hand and ask the question, it's just going to go right by, and you're never going to fully understand that material that's trying to be taught. The same with God's word. We open up to read it. We pray about it. We ask questions. And fourth, discuss it. Discuss it. Don't be with the people that they told us not to be with in verse 1, but surround yourself with people that want to discuss it, that want to talk about it. I had a friend that, man, it's a whole story, but um, his name's Dan Hurt. And uh, we ran into each other when I was getting my MBA at Butler University. Both of us were kind of exasperated. We wanted to be done to school. And we just happened to sit down at the same table together. And it comes to find out we lived only like five minutes away from each other, even though we were driving, you know, into Indianapolis for school. So it was really cool how God orchestrated it. But Dan Hurt is one guy that whenever I sit down with him, wherever I talk, whether our kids are playing hide-and-go-seek and we're just sitting at a park, whether we go to dinner or they come over to dinner at our house, Scripture is brought up every single time. That guy just oozed Scripture. I couldn't get away from it, and I loved it. Dan was that friend that I loved to be around because every time we talked, Scripture would just pour out of the guy. And he was like a Christian about 25 years less than I was. But his maturity was about 2,000 times greater. Scripture just oozed out. Find your Dan that you can hang around with. Find the people in your life that you can discuss things with. You know, Psalm 1-2, when it comes to our vision statement, because our mission is, thank you, both of you, helping people journey with Jesus, right? Another part of our vision statement is what? Seeking Scripture. And Psalm 1-2 sure sounds a lot like it. If you want to be happy, if you want to be a blessed man or a blessed woman, meditate on God's Word. Psalm 1-3 Uh, He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. So next we have the result of the blessing dues, right? So when, when we meditate on God's word, when we focus our life on it, we have this fruit that's coming from our life. Jeremiah 17 says it this way. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for it leaves, its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. As we dig our roots deep into God and His Word, even when trials come, even when difficulties come, we don't have to worry because our roots are so deep that they're going to God's Word and they're getting the thirst, their thirst is being quenched. They're getting the water and the nourishment that it needs for us to experience who God created us to be. Matthew 13, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the Word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. My favorite thing to relate to, I guess, or passage of scripture that I would go to, and I've preached through these not really too long ago, Matthew chapter 25. 
when it comes to bearing good fruit, when it comes to being who God made us to be, when it comes to our life reflecting that we've surrendered our life to Jesus, I go to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25 has those three parables. And the first one is the parable of the virgins. The first part of it is, are you ready for when Jesus comes again? Are you prepared that if Jesus came in right now, in the next half a second, that you're ready to go be home with him? The second one is the parable of the talents. In the parable of the talents, he gives one, five, one, two, one, one, and Jesus comes back, and they're supposed to give back, or uh, they're held accountable for what they did for what Jesus blessed them with. And two of them doubled themselves, and one didn't do anything, he buried it in the sand, and he was thrown out, and all that kind of stuff. And we asked the question, what does it mean to double yourself? What does it mean to bear good fruit? And then the third parable in Matthew 25 is what? It's the sheep and the goats. And the sheep and the goats tell us what it means to double ourselves. What does it mean? When somebody's hungry, what do you do? Give them something to eat. Somebody's thirsty, give them something to drink. Somebody's naked, by all means, please clothe them. Someone's in the hospital and in prison. Oh, we go minister to them. That's what doubling ourselves looks like in God's economy. That we care for those who can't care for themselves. In fact, Psalm 1, verse 3, in our mission of helping people journey with Jesus. You're not catching my clues, right? We have these vision statements. Sharpen and be sharpened. Seek scripture. That sounds a whole lot like showing compassion and serving sacrificially. Happy is the man who meditates on God's word and it causes him to show compassion. It causes him to humble himself and to serve those that can't serve themselves. Last few verses read this way. The wicked are not so. All right. So with the opposite of the blessed man, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the result of the blessing do not. When we want to sit in the company of scoffers, those that drag us down, those that cause our morals to take a left turn, right? Well, if we want to do that instead of allowing God to work through our life and for our fruit to bear, for uh, his work to be done on earth, we end up being cast out like chaff. And God's not afraid to do it, and he does it with ease. Matthew 3.12, his winnowing fork is in his hand. And he will clear his flesh threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Psalm 94. He will bring back on them their iniquity and wipe them out for their wickedness. The Lord our God will wipe them out. Isaiah 3. Woe to the wicked. It shall be ill with him. For what his hands have dealt out shall be done to him. Genesis 6, if we ever wondered if God's capable or willing or can do this, remember Genesis 6, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of his thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And so what did God do in Genesis chapter 6? He sent a worldwide flood, wiped everybody out and kept Noah and his family and said, I'm starting over. If we want to live our lives the opposite of a blessed man, don't think for a second that God is not just and that it makes him upset, disappointed, and yes, even angry when his creation fails to acknowledge who he is and live our life in a way that honors him for what he's done for us through Jesus on the cross. Tim Kite said this, you are shaped by your genetics. 
You are influenced by your circumstances. You are defined by your choices. I'm not suggesting that people don't have different levels of issues and problems that we deal with. And yes, sometimes uh, we're influenced by our, or we're shaped by our genetics. There's some things about us that we can't change. It's in our DNA. It's going to be that way. Nothing about it will change. Maybe it's personality driven. Maybe it's a disability that we have. There's some things about us that we won't be able to change. And he says, but you're influenced by your circumstances. We go back to Genesis or Psalm 1.1. If we surround ourselves with people that are going to drag us down, guess what? We're going to be heavily influenced. Our happiness and being blessed in this life and understanding who God is is going to be influenced by those around us. And we're defined by our choices. We get to choose who we hang out with. We get to choose whether or not we're going to meditate on God's word or we're just going to be like chaff with God having his winnowing fork, throwing stuff into the fire. We get to choose that. I was taking a walk with a guy who was at this men's retreat yesterday, and uh, we just took this 2.7-mile walk, and I needed it. The way I ate, I gained like three pounds at this retreat. It was awful. Um, and so we're on this walk, and he's just pouring himself out. I didn't know this guy from, from anyone. I just, he's just pouring himself uh, out to me, and he's like, yeah, I get real frustrated. He's one of like eight or nine kids. And he said, I get so frustrated with my brothers and sisters that they want to blame their situation on our parents. He said, I get that, yeah, maybe our parents weren't the best, but they forget the good part of what our parents did for them. And they want to blame, blame, blame. And he's like, at some point, we have to take responsibility for who we are and say, this is where I'm at now. And if I'm going to be something different tomorrow, I can take action on that. I'm like, yes, we all have daddy issues, but we can't rewind and undo. All we can do is look where we are and say, what does God want for me in this life? Who did he create me to be? What does it look like to honor and glorify him with, for everything that he's made me to be? And get on that path and do it. People are dragging you down. Hang around other people. I love, uh, I shouldn't say this, Rodney Dangerfield. When he had, he had that movie, Back to School, and he was like a business owner. And he's like, hey, do you think that commercial shows that I've gained some weight? And he's like, I could lose a couple. He said, i got to get fatter actors. That's funny. you got to think about it for a second. Yeah. <laughs> If you don't like who you're hanging around with, find some new friends. you got 400 of them sitting all around you right now that would love to be your friend and love to be in Christian community with you. Because we want to be about building each other up. We are best equipped for our journey with Jesus, carrying God's word. And while the journey may not always be happy, the destination will be. We go back to this question is, does God want us to be happy? And I'm telling you, yes, he wants us to be happy. But he wants us to be happy in heaven. He wants us to be happy for all of eternity. Does he care about our happiness now? Yeah, I think he looks down and he wants to know what's making us sad. But he also wants to look at us and say, there's some of your problem that you can fix. You can make better choices. You can create better circumstances for yourself to be in. And that's what Psalm 1 is all about. Blessed is the man. Happy is the man who doesn't sit in the way of scoffers and sinners and whatever. But blessed is the man who meditates on God's word day and night. He'll be like a tree planted by the water. And he's bearing fruit. He's being everything God created him to be. As he focuses on God and who he is. Job 42. Listen. Uh, then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. 
Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. After Job had gone through all this stuff and he's having this discussion with his friends and God says, all right, you sit down there and I'm going to tell you who I am. And God reveals himself to Job and says, this is who I am. Where were you when I did all these things? You don't have the perspective that I have. And Job repents. And he says, you're right. God then looked at his friends and said, I'm mad at you guys. And I'm not going to forgive you unless uh, you go say you're sorry to Job. And Job offers a sacrifice for you. And so Job did all those things. And this is what happened. The Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. I'm not here to tell you that God's going to give you double what you have right now because I don't think you want to go through the pain of losing everything that you have in order to get to that point. But I'm here to tell you that I think God does want us to be happy, yes, ultimately in heaven, but I think he wants us to be happy here on earth as well. But it's not a happiness that we think about. It's not a happiness related to health, whether mental or physical. It's not even a happiness related to the joy that we have in our spouse and our relationships and that kind of thing. He wants us to be happy. Or we are happiest when we live a repentant life knowing that God created us to be special, to be unique in his eyes. And he has a specific plan and a job for each of us to do. And happiness is committing ourselves, devoting ourselves to his word and understanding what it means to bear good fruit. Might God bless you with all kinds of stuff on earth? I guess he might. But only if he knows your heart is going to be like Job and that it's not about the stuff. It's about his relationship with the God that created him and the God that loves him and ultimately the God that saved him. Happiness. Happiness can come, but it's a choice that we make. It's a choice that we make about who we hang out with and what we devote ourselves to. So let's devote ourselves to God's word. Let's meditate on it. Let's make it a part of who we are and watch God bear fruit through our lives that can glorify him and honor him and expand his kingdom. Father, we thank you for uh, the challenge that you give us to meditate on your word. Father, there's so many other voices in this world that want to vie for our attention and want to pull us toward them. There's different people that want to give us advice and they want to give us counsel and all these things. And the fact is, none of them compare to you. Father, my prayer is that we as a people would devote ourselves as we're on this journey with Jesus. That we would devote ourselves to studying your word to meditating on it day and night, to making it a part of our DNA, to make it a part of everything that we are. So that, yes, we would be blessed, but not in a blessed in a way that we have all this stuff, but blessed in that we know we're in a right relationship with you. That's what we desire, Lord God. I pray that you would heal us, heal our hearts, help us to declutter our mind, declutter our lives, so that we could just simply focus on you and our journey to be like Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Why don't you stay and let's sing.